Welcome once again to the podcast from the ABC's Washington studio here in Washington, D.C. on M Street. I'm Stephanie March, North America correspondent, joined by producer Roscoe Whalen. Hello. Other North America correspondent, Michael Vincent. Hi, guys. And for the first time, we have North America correspondent and Bureau Chief Zoe Daniel. Hey. Greetings. Yay. The whole team is together. Where have you been, Zoe? Just got back from snowy Iowa. Yeah, Roscoe and I were a bit jealous, to be honest. As hard as you worked and you did work hard, it did look like a little bit of fun. And that's what we're going to start talking about today. Michael and Zoe just got back from the Iowa caucuses, which was, I don't know, it was exciting, it was busy, it was a whole bunch of things. But yeah, tell us, what was it like? It was really fun. It was quite fascinating. Inside view of US politics at the up-close-and-personal level that Iowa has uniquely, really. You know, it's an opportunity for us, as well as the people of Iowa, to get really close to candidates. Uh, And particularly early in the week, um, right at the beginning of the process, before a lot of media uh, turned up, we were able to get, you know, very close, uh, handshake distance, literally, from some of the front runners. And the events were quite small and intimate. And, you know, someone said to me, that in the larger population states, say somewhere like California, chances of getting close to a, a presidential hopeful are almost zero. Whereas in Iowa, uh, you wouldn't actually choose someone unless you had actually had a conversation with them three or four times. There's an expectation that you will meet the candidate, talk to them, understand their way of thinking before you'll consider supporting them. Uh, it's just very unique um, little uh, political process there. Because I was quite surprised on your 7.30 story. Hillary Clinton walked right up to you and shook your hand and said hello. I I was quite surprised as well, I have to say. (laughs) I I had been told by a a security guy uh, she will not be taking questions. And, of course, I said, yeah, yeah, that's fine, and walked past him and sort of stood um, near her to observe her interacting uh, with some of the local people who were there to meet her. And, yeah, she just walked straight up straight up to me and said, hello, how are you? Shook my hand. Thanks for being here. And, yeah, it was... Um, maybe she thought you were a local. Maybe, yeah, maybe. But it was a win either way. <laughs> That's horrible. Stereotypes. Uh, Michael, how did you find it, your first caucus, after being here for three years and so desperately waiting for that first vote? I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I got to spend the whole um, evening with a bunch of people at the Hillis Elementary Gym, from which I did a live cross from, and live-tweeted the mad, you know, madly. And, and it was so much fun because, yeah, you, you hear about these things, you, know, you read about them all the time, but to physically experience it was an absolute hoot. And I really appreciate the fact that they're so open about it too. They let you in the room, you know, they're not fussed about you being there, they're not fussed about you. Well, a couple of people were a bit fussed about me recording stuff when they're having those horse-trading moments, when they're literally haranguing the... the, the um, Hillary Clinton people and the Bernie Sanders people were literally jumping on those undecideds and the O'Malley people and saying, you know, but she stands for this, she stands for this and that and that. And, that. and issues like the Iraq war and health care were being thrown up and this guy, and people were like, what do you do? And this guy's like, I'm, I'm a military contractor. And they both Democrats sort of went, oh, and then immediately kind of went back into kind of how to tr- trying to convince them to, to join their team. And that was fantastic. And, you know, yeah, it was emotional for the O'Malley people because while we were there, he dropped out. And... You know, the the their caucus captain was in tears, and oh, wow. you know all of this stuff was fascinating. And and in the end, um, it came down to one delegate. They got Hillary Clinton's people got one more delegate than Bernie Sanders' people in that gym. Five hundred sixty-one people, 
Do you want to have a listen to how intense it got? Why don't we have Let's a listen? do it. The door to my left, if you are a Bernie Sanders supporter, you come in that door and you will be counted. If you are a Hillary Clinton supporter, you will go out, you will come in that door and be counted. I don't care what door you go out. I only care what door you come in. Go! I think it's important to explain to people as well that this is actually organised by the parties. It's not organised by the state. So when you're sitting there and you're watching it and you're seeing them count votes out of baskets and out of popcorn containers... Mm. Or leaving the room and coming back in via doors... It, it looks like you're voting for your SRC student council rep <laughs> in primary school. So I think it's important so people know the difference. But it is fairly antiquated, it seems, in the style they actually count the votes. Is that what you guys got the impression of as well? It was totally ad hoc where I was. We were in a tiny little barn. There were about 250 people there. This is for the Democrats caucus. And it was really tight. Um, there were far too many people for the space. And it was literally... Sanders in one corner, uh, Clinton in the other, and then a few O'Malley's in the middle. And the same thing happened, that that sort of horse trading, please join us, please join us. And then in the end, uh, Clinton and Sanders' groups cut O'Malley loose and that group dispersed um, to those two camps and a couple of people, you know, who looked very sad, left, who were dying wool uh, O'Malley supporters. Um, and then it was just literally, uh, OK, show of hands, uh, and they counted people off. I mean, you could really see in such a packed space how things could be counted wrong, uh, for example. Um, but just, yeah, so so small and and intimate and directly engaged in politics. And as Michael says, you know, this um, quite engaged conversation going on around what the policies were and why people were supporting particular people. What I find fascinating is the end... I really would love to have seen one of those coin tosses mm. because there was more than... There were more than six, apparently. I mean, initially reported as six, but... Um, Bernie did. Uh, Bernie's people did win a few more, but it literally came down to coin tosses. And at the end of the night, was it one, two in the morning when they finally said, you know, several tenths of a percent is what Hillary Clinton actually won by. It was mm. point two. Point two. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I can it's really crazy. see how that coin toss situation could happen because at the the Democrat one that we were at, uh, O'Malley's group were trying to rake in supporters from the others, and at one point the person who was coordinating the group stood up and said, "Oh well, we could give them another five minutes to try to grab people," and there was this resounding "No," <laughs> um, because the people who were there just wanted to get it done. Yeah, basically. it must be quite exhausting and. Emotional, the whole process. Mm. Well, you all know when you're uh, doing a coin toss, you put whatever you want it to be on the other side, so you can always rig it for yourself as well, right? Oh, yeah, maybe. Why not? When it falls off the table and rolls under, you can always do what you want down there. (laughs) And now, obviously, everyone's left Iowa to be forgotten for uh, another few years or for a time, and now we're moving on to New Hampshire, which is next week. And, Steph, you're about to head off to New Hampshire actually today. Yeah, like in about 15 minutes. Beautiful. <laughs> Which is going to be good. And the, the thing I think will be interesting, because the process of the primary is, is different to a caucus, it's more simple, it's literally mm. just like we vote in Australia, it's casting, casting a ballot. I think at least that sort of, I mean, look, my head's not one for process, unlike yours, Michael. Um, so, you know, that's going to be a lot easier to kind of take. But what I think's interesting about New Hampshire is there's a lot of independent and undecided voters. And unlike in Iowa... 
you can just decide on the night which party you're going to vote for, mm. um, let alone what candidate. So you could literally be uh, someone in New Hampshire who hasn't even decided if they're voting Democrat or Republican, and you can do that up till the last minute. I think that's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's a more classic election process, certainly. I have to say, I'm somewhat attached to the caucus now. <laughs> I, I found it all very charming and quite an eye-opener. Uh, but New Hampshire is going to be interesting, totally different demographic, as you say. And... You know, obviously now we have a momentum dynamic to work from, whereas Iowa was a little bit of a anything could happen here kind of situation. You know, we now have Hillary with this marginal victory, uh, Sanders likely to win well, uh, Trump having to win really in New Hampshire to go forward with any chance of being the nominee, Cruz, Rubio, who to me, uh, looks like the one to watch in that race. And so, you know, each step is a different story um, for us to tell, and I think that's going to be really interesting. All those other moderates, um, I got to go to an event at breakfast with a Chamber of um, Commerce-style breakfast with Chris Christie, the governor of New Jersey, who was still, I was surprised, was still in uh, Iowa on the morning of of the Iowa caucus. And yet by the afternoon, he was already in New Hampshire, as was Jeb Bush, as was John Kasich. They realised this is their last best chance of getting across the line. And when they have their debate on Saturday night, that could really make or break their candidacies and their, you know, their chances. It's, it's fascinating that in the space of 10 days, half a dozen people will probably be out of the race. We've already lost O'Malley, Huckabee, Rand Paul... You watch Santorum, you know, all of that, because this is it for some people. And I think that's the really interesting thing. You were talking about the momentum, Zoe, leading to New Hampshire. Mm. We talk about Iowa being this small retail politics state, but New Hampshire's even smaller. The population's less than half of what Iowa is. The delegate numbers that come out of it are even smaller. So we're talking about a fraction of the delegates that make up winning the nomination. It's all momentum when it goes to New Hampshire. And obviously, as you were saying, Michael, some of the candidates are trying to make the most of that. Yeah, exactly. It's it's fascinating, this whole concept of momentum being almost more important than actual delegate numbers at this point. Who are you guys going to be interested in watching in New Hampshire? And you mentioned Marco Rubio and his people uh, on the ground. I think they've got, you know, they're making 10,000 calls a week. They're, they're, you know, ready to go. Marco Rubio, is he the one you're watching, Zoe? Uh, well, I saw a split of each campaign's um, pizza expenses and Marco like Rubio's <laughs> was, was the smallest of uh, all of the hopefuls. So I'm wondering if he'll remedy that um, for his campaign Healthy teams in, in New Hampshire. But yeah, look, Marco Rubio's one to watch. But I sort of feel that the two key elements in New Hampshire are Bernie and Hillary. You know, we almost probably get to a point after New Hampshire where they're both just back to the beginning um, in terms of delegate numbers and then just a wide open race uh, on the Democrat side, which is fascinating. And, you know, uh, sad as it was for O'Malley's supporters, it's just a two horse race now, which makes it quite clear cut. And then on the other side, you know, I still think the Trump dynamic is what's fascinating. And I think that internationally, that's what a lot of people will be watching. You know, is he going to stay in this as a realistic prospect or will he get swallowed up uh, in the process early in these um, primaries? Did you hear O'Malley's uh, exit speech the other day? He he basically said, I will keep fighting against Trump and his fascism. So there is an absolute passion driven on the Democrat side to campaign against Trump or to be involved in the process to fight against Trump. 
And on the Republican side, there is still this fear and loathing that if he does win New Hampshire and that does give him momentum, it's literally him, Cruz and Rubio. Yeah, and then you've got that Rubio dynamic around uh, the Republican establishment who you would think after Iowa would be thinking, okay, well, if Donald Trump drops off, we're going to end up with a a very hardline candidate in Ted Cruz. So those who are more centrist in the Republican Party are going to be pulling everything out to push Rubio forward and and I think that's going to be really interesting. And on that on the Democrat side, you know, Bernie Sanders with his, you know, razor thin margin of victory. He said after that he's in it for the long haul, he's in it until the convention. Yeah. So that I mean, he, you know, and he predictably will do well in New Hampshire. It's next door to his home state of Vermont. Um, and then see how he goes going south. But his grassroots organisation is quite remarkable and the bulk of his donations are averaging at $29. I mean, compare that to some of the super PACs, and he made $20 million in January alone. Yeah, and he's just loved. Um, I mean, the the big moment for me uh, in relation to the Iowa results was Bernie's crowd, that feel the burn, feel the burn, feel the burn chanting, and he's just laughing and smiling and sort of saying, wow, I can't believe this is happening. And it it actually had that little goosebumps moment of all of those um, post-Iowa results speeches. That was the one where you sort of thought, wow, there's something quite interesting going on here. Whether he ends up getting the nomination or not, it's changed a dynamic uh, certainly on that side of politics. And I think that's something that probably for another day, but we talk a lot about the right moving right, but you talk to a lot of progressives, I know you've been talking to them as well, Steph, and they've been saying, I want my candidate to move on what Obama's done. Mm. I want it to go further. I feel like Hillary would be an incremental change, but I want more change. So you're seeing America moving further left and further right at the same time, which is fascinating. It's almost like we were at a Ted Cruz event last week and it's almost like they would want to throw the anchor off the ship, the, the, the good ship uh, Obama. They literally want to throw the anchor off and until it hits the bottom and yanks the country back round to the right. They are, they are also a grassroots movement which is incredibly angry and he's also been talking up the amount of money he's been getting, the donations from people you know, um, all across the country that heard, have heard him speak and he's a pur- basically he's a puritanical politician. He believes only in his side, and that's it, and it's that or bust. And when you compare that with Trump, and then, of course, as as I said, you know, Rubio is the establishment hope now because if 40%, 50% of the of the the vote is towards the hard right or the the you know much further right in the Republican Party, the establishment is quaking at the possibility that they won't win. Well, you start getting to the point where you can look at presidential matchups, and I mean, there are so many fascinating permutations, but can you imagine a, a Cruz-Sanders race? You have basically got two <laughs> wow. utterly polarised positions, hard left, hard right, and America's just going to be sort of divided. Um, and then you end up with a big portion of the population in the end that has a president that has their, the complete reverse views to what they believe in. I think that's really interesting. Let me just finish on one point. Uh, Iowa, for all the massive turnout, record turnout on the Republican side, only 8.6 of registered Republicans actually turned out. So for all of this, um, wow. and we're talking 150,000 people, mm-hmm. that decided the first part of the Republican presidential race. That, for me, says so much about 
voluntary voting in the United States compared to our system where you tell people, you know, people get fined if they don't turn up at the ballot box in Australia. Mm -hmm. That for me says so much. That's an idea for another day. Now let's, uh, yeah, let's wrap this up. Final, final thoughts, things from the week, things looking forward. Mine is the, the wonderful, the incredibly entertaining Donald Trump. And I was mm. so fascinated by this guy who has painted himself as a winner, saying early on in his campaign that he's going to win so much that America is going to get sick of winning, managed to spin his non-win, his loss, his second place, into a positive. It's just remarkable. He did his press conference, or he did his speech after his concession speech, I suppose, and, you know, he turned it around saying, you know, people told me I wouldn't I wouldn't do anything and I, or I'd, I'd do terribly and I've come second. And then he started railing against the mainstream media for not covering his second place properly. But I just think it's remarkable that someone who, he can just, he can just create the story and drive the story and dominate the story. And regardless of what you think of his politics, the man's got some skills. He's a showman. He's a showman. I was going to say the, the polls are always greener on the other side. As soon as Trump lost, he came out and he said, I'm up by 16 points in New Hampshire. So for uh, Donald Trump, he's always looking ahead to the next poll. Mm. Exactly. So thought for the week, well, there's a phrase that they uh, use in Iowa, Iowa nice. And I really found Iowan people extremely nice, like to the point that I was like, everyone's so nice here. This is sort of quite strange. Um, but everyone was so engaged in the political process, you know, from the waitress serving us breakfast, from the person at the petrol station. They were all talking about the caucuses. And I'm fascinated to see New Hampshire in relation to that, just that level of engagement and the different dynamic. Uh, before we go, I have a presentation to make. Now, um, Michael and I, we were pretty busy uh, oh. when we were in Iowa. Uh, surprisingly, but we did have a spare half an hour where we did some merch uh, shopping. Oh, yes, I Yay. love merch. And, and Roscoe, you know, the three of us get to go out on the road and, and be in the thick of this, and, and you're the one who's working hard in the office, actually oh, making us look good hard. most of the time. So I brought you back a little souvenir. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, this is amazing. Now, you can't see this. It's a bright red beanie which says <laughs> Trump. Make America Great Again. So I'm just going to quickly go inside and check where it was actually made. Indeed. Because we do know a lot of them were, uh, oh, there it is, made in China. So <laughs> that is amazing. Make I'll America put... Great and helping China at the That's same we'll, time. We'll, we'll take a picture of Roscoe and we'll, we'll post that on Twitter oh, yeah, that so everyone perfect. can That's a great check fit. out the hat. You guys I want, to see really what, well. I want to see what happens when he wears it in very Democrat DC. <laughs> I want to put one of our, the Bernie buttons next to it and then just have him go out in the street and confuse them. <laughs> <laughs> It has been a fascinating week in politics. Um, there's a lot of silly coverage, clearly, in, in this uh, campaign. It, you know, there's only so much policy and detail people can obviously take in. For me, the silliest of it all was Sticker Boy, this guy who was wearing two stickers on his cheeks behind Clinton in her speech. I honestly didn't see it when, when it was on the TV when she was giving the speech. Um, but uh, it, from the August Guardian through to USA Today through to our you know, colleagues in Australia were reporting on it. Give me a break. Anyway, <laughs> heading, down that, heading down that road, um, let's have a listen to some of the very serious coverage devoted uh, this week to, to this campaign by the Washington Post. We have more people in jail than any other country on earth. He sounds like he's angry. I'm guessing he has a lot of ties. To take back our government from a handful of billionaires and create the vibrant democracy we know we can and should have. Thank you. So what did you think watching him? I think um, that his teeth are real clean. 
Looks like it looks like my grandpa, except my grandpa has more dark hair. You realize your grandpa's going to see this. What do you think, Rachel? I think he wants to get more people arrested since he talked about um, um, building more jails. I'm the granddaughter of a factory worker and the grandmother of a wonderful one-year-old child. Not just She's really her. pretty. Finally, fathers will be able to say to their daughters, you too can grow up to be president. I don't think she'll be a good candidate because what does it have to do about her being a grandmother? Um, if Hillary Clinton wins, what we what would we call um her husband? First man, first sir. I know they call um her husband um messing with another girl. Yeah. No offense to boys, but there has been too much men presidents, so I think this would be a very good change. Yeah. Just saying. Donald Trump! Oh, no! Donald Trump! Yes. And I said, we need to build... He looks like a tomato. And it has to be built quickly. Because our leaders are stupid. Our politicians are stupid. And that's what's happening, whether you like it or not. Why are they clapping? I don't know why he said to put up a wall for. I know, because he thinks the Mexicans are bringing drugs in. Oh, we know that um, Donald Trump doesn't like black people. He likes black people. He no, just he doesn't. doesn't like Latinos. No, he doesn't. I'm Latino. I'm Latino. I think. I'm Latino. I don't know. It looks like Donald Trump like doesn't have no hair. And Donald Trump has gold hair. I think he just thinks it's an easy peasy job. I think and he, I think he wants attention. <gasps> oh. All right, ready guys? Last guy. You know, let me say something at the outset. The questions that have been asked so far in this debate. He's fat. Crazy, he's crazy. Well, there you have it. Fat, crazy, looks like a tomato. I reckon he's got lots of ties. It's just I wow. That's, really, that's some wonderful analysis to finish on. Thank you, guys. Roscoe Whalen on Twitter. It's at Roscoe Whalen 7 and that Roscoe's with an E. Michael Vincent. At have you remembered M it this week? Yes, at mvincent.com. <laughs> oh, sorry, I haven't. Oh, What's the internet? I'm lucky. I'm lucky. Oh, I need to look up Google to get my brain back. Um, it's at, at mvincent Oz. Thank you. Zoe? At Zed Daniel. And Stephanie March at Steph underscore March. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again in a week. Bye. Bye.